We learned all about Jesus over these last few weeks, and we've also learned about the people God was using to bring Jesus into the world. We learned about Zechariah. We learned that he was a priest, and while he was also praying for a child, when the deliverance came, when the moment of the answered prayer came, he did not have faith. We learned from Zechariah that faith is a must-have for all who follow Jesus. We learned from his wife Elizabeth, who was given the gift of a new child in her old age, and she accepted and received her relative, Mary. Even though Mary was with child before the consummation of the marriage, we learned from Elizabeth hospitality. We learned how to be a blessing to people. We learned from Mary, the mother of Jesus, that obedience to the word of the Lord is a must-have. She said, let it be done unto me according to your word. We learn from Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, that he also was an obedient servant. He trusted the Lord rather than his own understanding. Then there were shepherds. They were out in the field watching over the flocks by night, and they got a visitation from heaven. They had holy angels descend on them and announce to them the good news that Jesus was born that very night. And their response was, let's go! They went with haste to find out about this Jesus. They were seekers. We learned that seeking after the Lord is really an important facet of who we are as Christians. And also the three wise men, or the magi. These were men who were seeking God's promise by watching the stars. They saw the revelation that a new star had come on the horizon, symbolizing a new king to be born. They traveled perhaps up to a thousand miles to seek after this king. Thank you for traveling five miles this morning to seek Jesus. Or if you're on the outskirts of Worcester County, maybe 10 or 15 or 20 miles. We learn from the scriptures about John. He was a relative of Jesus. He was going to be born. We know him as John the Baptist. And we understand that he had a particular call on his life. We understand that that call is not necessarily for everyone, but God does pull people out. God does single people out. God does give special assignments to people, not based on who we are, but based on his plan for redemption. And then there's Jesus. We learn that he's the child of promise. He is our salvation. He is light. He is glory. And we're going to hear about Jesus today, that Jesus also understands authority, that even though he is the master, even though he is the one who has all control, he yields and submits to the will of his father both in heaven and on earth. So I'm so happy that our children are here today to get a good sermon on being obedient to your mom and daddy. And let's not forget who we'll hear about now, Simeon and Anna, a prophet and as it would be a prophetess. These are men and women older in life and have devoted themselves to seeking after the Lord. Simeon's hanging around the temple, hanging around the church life, hanging around the faithful, and praying for God to do what he promised to do, to save all of his people. And Anna, this woman who had only been married for seven years before she became a widow, and the Bible says that now she's at age 84, and her sole purpose in life was to worship the Lord day and night in her prayers and fasting. She's an example of having a piety, a piousness, of walking in devoted life before our Lord. 
with these characters in mind, we want to read the text. But let me first say this. Most of what we're drawn to in these stories is the extraordinary ways God was using these people. Let's be clear. We're talking about a virgin giving birth. That's extraordinary. We're talking about angels visiting. Extraordinary. We're talking about a star appearing in the heavens and showing the way to the newborn king. That's, well, is that extraordinary? Does that happen all the time? It's extraordinary. We pronounce it in English, extraordinary. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. But in today's text, we're going to learn about the ordinary. We're going to learn about how we walk in the ordinary means. Ordinary means that there's no special No distinctive feature, it's just normal living versus extraordinary, which is very unusual, very remarkable, exceptional. And my my challenge to you up front is to realize where we are in America and realize perhaps where you are personally. The temptation before us constantly in this culture is to live in the extraordinary. We want to show on our social media that we are living above the ordinary. Look at this dessert I just ordered. It's extraordinary. Look at where I am with my friends. And here's the selfie with the group. We're in front of this great restaurant. We're in front of this great cruise ship. It's extraordinary. We don't want to report on the ordinary means of our life. We want to live in the extraordinary. We want to have everything as though it's fun all the time. We catch ourselves as parents, our children return home from school. How was school? Was it fun? Whoever promised school is going to be fun? Kids, is school fun all the time? No. No. The ordinariness of life, the normalcy of life is usually not fun, but it's there when we're faithful to the ordinary life that God gives opportunity for the extraordinary life. And conversely, when we seek the extraordinary, when we want to grab all that the world has to offer, we usually will wind up crying in a pit of despair, begging God for the ordinary once again. The story of the prodigal son comes immediately to mind. That two sons really had a blessed life, but one wanted more. He wanted the extraordinary. He didn't want to live on the farm. He didn't want to live among his people. He wanted to live the fast life. And he asked his father for his inheritance so that he could go live the way he wanted to live. An inheritance which was not due him until his father had died. What he was saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could take all that you promised me. The dad in his graciousness gave it, and the son went off for wild living and found himself worse off than the servants back on the home farm. Found himself down in the ditch feeding the pigs, and then it dawned on him. Then he finally realized, this is not ordinary. My life back home was better than this. I want that ordinary again. His search for the extraordinary led him down in the pit. What we want to return to is an adequate expectation of the ordinary life an appreciation for the ordinary life, a contentment in the ordinary life, a satisfaction with the ordinary life, knowing that our God will break into that ordinary life and do something beyond what we can imagine or think. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And at the end of the eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given 
by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. We'll pause there. The ordinary and the extraordinary. What were his parents doing, the parents of Jesus? They were following the ordinary life. We already remarked on Christmas Eve that traveling from their home in Nazareth to Bethlehem was not necessarily ordinary. It was extraordinary. It was a census taken. It was out of the normal ebb and flow of life, and off they were. They're in Bethlehem, but now since they're in Bethlehem, which is just almost six miles away from Jerusalem. I mean, it's like walking from here to the Auburn Mall. And they're just going to take a stroll, and they're going to go to Jerusalem and fulfill all that's required of them. They're going to go right to the main temple. They're going to go, and they're going to go through the process of naming Jesus, go through the purification of the mother. They're going to go through this, this wonderful ceremony. They're just doing life the way you're supposed to do it when you're a faithful Jewish person. What does it look like to be a faithful Christian person? To have morning devotions. To set our heart before the Lord in the morning. Early in the morning will I rise up and seek God. Giving financially our tithes and offerings to the Lord. Giving to our neighbor. Giving to those around us. Loving. Being patient in love. Kind in love. Not just loving in, in, in word, but in deed. What does it mean to be a faithful Christian in the 21st century? Is coming together with other Christians still normal? Or have we somehow misplaced normalcy to say, if I come once a month, it's good enough? Understanding the normal practice of Christianity in the 21st century will help you and I walk faithfully. And as a pastor, there's no guidebook I can give us other than the one that's already been given. There's no pattern I could set other than that which has been set. And Mary and Joseph are cluing us in that what we're to do is what is expected of us. There's no shortcut. There's no roundabout. There's no way we can fast track. All of the other systems of this world will constantly pull against your faithfulness to our Lord. We'll tell you there's other things more important. We'll tell you there's other gatherings you need to be at. We'll tell you there's other priorities that surpass this one. And yet the scriptures remain the same. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. And in this sense, even though Mary and Joseph understood, because they had an angelic visitation, that their son was special, 
that he was the anointed one, son of God. They did not do anything different than what was expected. They lived the ordinary life. They took their child to the temple. They went through all the ritual. They presented themselves, and it was there in their ordinary obedience that the Lord shows up in an extraordinary way. There is a man named Simeon, a man who had been praying his whole life that God would move upon his nation. Some of us prayed one time that God would change America. When God didn't change it, we gave up. May Simeon be our example. Prayed night and day, praying all the time for the consolation of Israel. And what he prayed was for things like peace, things like harmony, things like justice. And in that midst of the prayer, the Lord promised to him, before you die, I will let you see the one who will usher this in. God's sovereignty is evident in this story. The Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, and the Holy Spirit led him to that moment so that he's at the temple the exact time that this boy is brought in by his parents, and he understands because he's in prayer, he's in the Spirit, what's going on. He discerns. This is the child. He goes over and he asks if he could take this child to himself and he begins to thank God. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He understands now something that's new, that's different than Mary and Joseph had heard. They heard Jesus was going to be Savior. It's written in his name, the one who saves. But now that you have prepared in your presence of all the people a light for revelation to the Gentiles. What? If you're hearing those words in that day, that's saying we're going to grant salvation even to your worst enemies. Even to those who are oppressing you. Even to those who are against you. God is saying through his servant Simeon, this one will be a light of revelation even to those who hate you. And so much of this sermon is built on our expectations of life. And that's reflective in this passage that all those who were praying for the consolation of Israel would have probably imagined that that would mean Jesus coming in on a white horse and overthrowing the Roman Empire, just taking out all the bad guys so that they could live once again in a holy and a consecrated people. That wasn't God's plan. His plan was he was sending Jesus into the world that through Israel he could then seek after all the Gentiles who also might believe. And I'm so glad he did. Most of us are here in that Gentile category. And so that now that they're hearing this, Mary and Joseph are saying, what? We had no idea this was the promise over our son. And that is what we find in verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. They didn't try to make something happen. They didn't say, our son's going to be the savior of the world. Let's send him to a special school. They just raised him in a normal way, and God began to move in extraordinary ways. I'm asking you to consider what is a normal way to live as a Christian in the 21st century. If the average church attendance is 1.3 Sundays per year, is that biblical? Is that the way we've been trained to live Is that the gathering of the saints that God has in mind? What are we doing those other 2.7 Sundays? What's taken precedence on a two-to-one ratio over our coming together with other believers? The ordinary, the faithful ordinary life will give opportunity to the extraordinary. But when we pursue the extraordinary, we usually wind up in the nice. 
the story goes on. And Simeon blessed them, verse 34, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. A sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Samuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. And she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to whom, excuse me, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So only to confirm with the mouth of two or three witnesses, God sends another. For all those, again, who ingest, someone asked me, are you ever going to preach about women in the Bible? I said, absolutely, because there's tons of women in the Bible. And Anna, this woman of God, is standing in the Lord's presence day and night. If she was married at the earliest possible age of 14 and was together with her husband for seven years before he died, she could have been a widow for 63 years. For 63 years, women, she's setting the example for us that you don't have to get remarried. I'm just putting it out there because I have nothing to lose. We only have to gain. For as many remarriages as I have performed, I have sat and cried out, and my wife can testify where I've come home, and I said, I just don't know if it's going to work. I'm walking by faith, not by sight. But I would love to hold up Anna as an example where her husband passes, and yes, she had every right to remarry, but she stayed a widow and devoted herself to the Lord. I don't know why. The scriptures don't tell us how. They just say it happened. It just say that it was in her heart. Her devotion was to the Lord to pursue him above everyone else on this earth. I believe if I passed away today, my wife would remain a widow. She would not want to put up with this from anyone else who suffered enough. But of course, to remain unmarried, the world has made that extraordinary. It doesn't have to be. It can be ordinary. To devote yourself to the Lord and to his work. to consecrate yourself and give yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord. Don't let anyone make you feel less than for being single. And God has a plan. And Anna surrendered herself to that plan. And what a blessing she was on that day when she, again, led by the Spirit, by the providence of God, she finds herself at that very hour, it says. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. How wonderful to be led of the Lord. How wonderful to speak of things that are higher than the ordinary life. But she had to choose. Would she fall into the ordinary or would she consider how she might be set apart for God's purposes? You see that God does have something wonderful for all of us. And usually as we walk through the ordinary means of life, which Anna did, she got married. We don't know if she had children or not. And then she was widowed. Then the Lord revealed to her, here's what I have for you. Picking up the passage again, verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. 
And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of the Lord was upon him. Ordinary. Ordinary. They heard from the angel that Jesus was born the Son of God. Mary knew she was a virgin. All of this was now confirmed with Simeon and Anna on the day of Jesus' dedication. And now what do they do? Do they send him off to a special Son of God preparatory school? They go back home and live the ordinary life. It's when we're at home that our faith gets forged. The home is a consecrated place, a sacred space. And parents, you come, and often we pray together, and grandparents, and we wail, and we weep, and we wonder what will happen with our children. Can I tell all of our new parents, all those of you who are holding new ones in your home, the best thing you can do for your child is pray with them. Love them in Jesus' name in your home. Practice your faith in your home. Then bringing them to church is just an extension of what they already know in your home. But living like hell in your home and hoping for heaven at church is irresponsible. It's reckless. You're asking for the extraordinary. You're saying, I'm going to live my life ordinarily how I want, and then I'm going to bring and ask you to do something extraordinary out of what I'm bringing you. It will not work that way. The way we train up our child will be the way they go, says in Proverbs. So I encourage you, practice your faith in your home. That's what Joseph and Mary are going to do. And the child grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of our God was upon him. How did he become strong? Mother and father looked after what he was taking into his soul and into his body. Mother and father cared for him so that his development would be assured and strong. Mother and father did their job in the ordinary This favor of God was upon him. It was clearly evident. We don't get details of what that favor looked like, but we sense already that God is at work in this child's life. Now let's bring ourselves around third base heading home. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. To live the ordinary Christian life, that's the question that we need to ask ourselves and define for ourselves. To live the ordinary Jewish life in the first century required an annual trip, a pilgrimage, a journey to Jerusalem at the Feast of Passover. 
This trip was undertaken by all, so you can imagine now all were traveling in a group. They're piling into the minivan in our terms. Everyone's packing it into the station wagon. They're all going to rent a charter bus and go together. And they go down for this feast, and on their way back, they don't have a, a direct eye on Jesus. They simply assume that he's with the rest of the gang. And then it dawns on them. We haven't seen him in a while. He hasn't surfaced. Where is this boy? They cannot find him. We understand that his age is 12. It's mentioned there, and it's a very specific reason why. When they find Jesus, what's he doing? He's in the temple discussing with other adults the scriptures. He's listening to them and asking them questions. And all that were sitting with this 12-year-old were astonished at what was coming out of his mouth. In the Jewish ordinary life, when you were 12 years old, going to be turning 13, it was the culmination of your boyhood and your transition into manhood, into the community, the bar mitzvah. Up until this point, boys and girls were taught the scriptures up until age 12. They were expected to memorize scripture. Kids, do you, do you know what memory means? You ever study for a test? Someone said no. Oh, so glad we're having this discussion. College students, help them out. What is memorization? Yeah, it's really diligent work, isn't it? You have to read it over and over and over. And you commit the words on that page to your mind so you can recall them and recite them word for word. You're not learning a concept that you get to describe in your own words. You're learning word for word what is said. You're training your mind by repeating it over and over. You're recalling it. And when you make a mistake, you go back and you redo it so it gets to perfection. That you can recite verbatim, word for word. And when you are a Jewish boy or girl, how many boys and girls do we have here? Let's say under 12. 12 and under? Raise your hand. 12 and under. Yeah. So some of you have had some exams at school. You had some tests. Okay, put your hands on like your vocab quiz. They're going to ask you to know these 15 words, and when you come in, they're going to give you 10 of them on a paper, and you're going to have to write down the spelling of the word, or you have to write down the definition of the word. And sometimes to help out, they give you like a matching, where there's a word bank, and you get to draw some lines. There's a fill-in-the-blank. But this was no fill-in-the-blank, kids. This was, you had to know the scriptures word for word. How many scriptures? Anyone know? How many, how many verses do you think they had to memorize? Five or ten? One for each year of their life? Twelve? Maybe a whole chapter. A whole chapter would be good. Spend twelve years learning a whole chapter. No, it's even more. You're supposed to memorize the first five books of the Bible. That was ordinary. If someone were in this room to memorize the first five books of the Bible, we wouldn't call that ordinary. We would say, that's extraordinary. That's unusual. How remarkable. You're special. No, that was normal, ordinary life. You see how far we've come? You see how far we've drifted? You sense how far away we are from ordinary, from normal. 
and the call of this scripture is for us to understand the power of what's going on with Jesus is that there he is, after all of that training, getting ready for his bar mitzvah, he is now sitting with those adults and he's having adult conversation. You're wondering, parent, when will my child grow up? We've got to train them while they're young. Giving them the strength and the wisdom which comes from the scriptures. And Jesus was doing this. He was just simply spouting back what he knew, and they were amazed. And Mary says, why did you do us like this? Here we were looking for you, and he simply says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? He's making that transition from boyhood to manhood. He's letting them know, I'm getting to the place now where I'm going to enter into adult dialogue, where I'm going to move out into this arena. But because he was not yet 13, he says, but I'll do what you want me to do. And he submitted to his mom and dad. Children, even Jesus submitted to his mom and dad. If Jesus did, it stands the reason we should too. The one with all authority and power, the master of the universe, submits to his earthly mother and father. Certainly you and I, with nowhere near that power and authority, should submit to our mother. Certainly if we call ourselves a Christian, a Christ follower, we should follow the example of Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll go with you. And Mary treasured these things in her heart. That phrase was used several times in the Christmas story, which means she's pondering it, she's trying to discern What is going on in this moment? And I ask you to discern what's going on in this moment. What is going to be ordinary Christian life in the 21st century? What will be ordinary Christian life in the year 2023? What will be ordinary in your household for your faith practice personally in 2023? Because of this word, And the staff will confirm, I've been praying and discussing for several weeks, what could we do as a church for biblical engagement in 2023? Meaning, how can I help us, Living Word Church, enter into the Living Word? And we discussed several options. What we've often done in the past is given you a tool, a resource, reading through the Bible in a year. And the Lord kind of showed me, Brian, some of our folks can't take that big of a step. They can't jump into the deep end of the pool. They just want to walk down those stairs into the shallow end and kind of feel the temperature of the water. But at some point, we have to walk. At some point, we have to take a step. And I've been meditating and reading Psalm 119 over and over and over, which is on the Word of God. And what was impressed upon me this morning, even though I was in angst over what to say on this issue because I felt like I had no plan. I'm just going to tell you how it happened. I turn on ESPN to see who won the game. Clemson won the game. Beat Ohio State. And the quarterback of Clemson was interviewed. And he was asked, how is it that your team played like this? And he quoted Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And said, because him who lives in us is, can do immeasurably more than we can imagine or think. And that's what happened here today. I said, if the football quarterback, sophomore at Clemson, can quote the scripture, can our people quote the scripture? 
If this man understands how they gained victory because it was from the power of Christ at work within him, not all the hard work in the gym, not all the practice time, not all the special meals that are cooked, not all what's going on, but he attributed it to the Lord's work within him. Would our people be so prepared when the spotlight comes on us to understand, have we pondered in our heart like Mary what it is that God's really doing? Have we discerned how to live the ordinary life and Clemson football team has. And they raise a standard of what it means to be a normal Clemson football player. And my wife was at their, their training facility just a year ago with her family. And she got to meet, meet Coach Dabo Sweeney and some of the football players. And what Coach comes out publicly and says is, I tell all the players, you've got to get your priorities in order. And he was talking about marriage. And you want to look for a spouse? He said, the first thing is I've got to love Jesus as Lord. What? We're not marrying for success. We're not marrying because this person has a great education. We're not marrying because they'll be good for the family. We're not marrying because it's the thing to do. We're not marrying because we feel lonely. Coach Swinney said, the only reason you should get married, number one, a person has to love Jesus. And I asked myself, would our church answer the same? Are we looking with the same ordinary value systems that all God's people have looked through? Or have we invented something extra? Have we gone outside the bounds and tried to take matters into our own hands and redefine what is ordinary? Have we justified ourselves rather than sought after him who is faithful and good? And so I leave you with this question now. How will you define your ordinary Christianity? In 2020, one step we are going to take as a church to help us all is we are going to send you a memory verse each week. I'm going to ask you on that Monday to receive in text your memory verse. If you say, I'm not on the text uh, uh, group group yet, fill out a connect card and get on it. And we're going to text it to you. Say, Pastor, I don't have text. I don't have one of those smartphones. Call the church on Monday, 508. 852-5733. And our staff will tell you that verse. And I'm going to ask us to memorize that verse through the course of the week. We will review it on Sundays. We'll review it together. And then the next week, a new memory verse. Because we want to hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. We're going to memorize it. That means you're going to repeat it to yourself. If you have family devotions, you do it in your family as well. If you're part of a connect group, connect group leaders, spend a few moments in your connect group and review the memory verse. That for 2020, we can commit to memory 52 verses of the Bible. If a 12-year-old can recite five books of the Bible, we can do 52 verses. Amen? Father, we're committing ourselves to this task memorizing your word and defining ordinary life according to your word. We ask that you would illuminate, make things really clear for us. If there are areas of our life that we've been doing and are really extraordinary, they're out of the norm. We repent of that and want to turn back to you. If we've been seeking anything more than you, higher than you, in front of you, we want to repent of that, that we might seek you first. And to that end, we want your word to be preeminent in our life. Jesus, you are that cornerstone. May your living word abide in us and may we abide in you. 
Give us the conviction. Give us the drawing. Give us the power, the strength to memorize these verses. For some of us, our mind doesn't go there easily. For others of us, our mind is so quick. But I pray for all of us, it would come into our mind and also to our heart that we'd meditate on your word. We'd know what it means. So, Lord, let this word, this daily bread of yours, go deep into us in 2020. And we commit, Lord God, to redefine the ordinary life based on your holy word. May each family, may each person begin to examine, begin to ponder these things out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You excited about scripture memory? Oh, yeah. Now, listen, you, you, you have smartphones. I got a dumb phone. I can't use my phone for nothing. So I use old school three by five flashcards. And I just take you, you kids ever heard of this? They're made of paper. And you, and you buy them at this really old store where they sell paper. But if you have a device that's going to help you, I want to encourage you to think about that. You need to find a tool consistent for you. We will text it. If you do not have the text group line, you need to fill out a connect card today. If you say, I don't have any of those smartphones, I don't have any dumb phones, then I want to encourage you to call the church every Monday. And it's important that we do this. It's like a, it's a responsibility. I'm not going to give them to you all 52 at one time. I want to I diligently ask you to work through these week over week to take some responsibility. So we want to bless you. We want to wish you a happy new year, and I believe it will be happy as God's word abides in our heart. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. If you want to stay for prayers, our pastoral care team is here, and they're ready to pray with you at the conclusion, as always. Otherwise, we'll see you in the Christian Life Center.